It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Step aboard the latest voyage of the Strange Boat podcast. If it's your first time, we're pleased to have you. We can guarantee a pretty smooth ride and no seasickness. If you've been here before, then welcome back. My shipmate today has been on plenty of boats in his time, some of them probably more strange than this one. I'm sure we'll find out soon. He's changed tack slightly in recent times, and you're as likely to find him tackling a tench as you are reeling in a ray. Step aboard, Dave Barham. How are you, mate? <laughs> All right, Keith. Long time no see, mate. It is as well. I've I've seen you because yeah. I've seen your images and I've seen your videos and I've seen your your stuff. And I thought it was high time <laughs> that we had another chat it because is. it's probably when was it? Oh, it, it was tight know. lines, wasn't it? And that's going back. Maybe twenty years. Yeah, twenty years. It may be twenty years because, it, in fact, it may be twenty-five years. It might have been ninety-six or ninety-seven. Yeah, because I remember the producer at the time. Yeah, and, and Bruno was hosting it then, wasn't he? Before you exactly, took over. Yeah. yeah. And, wow. And, and that stopped, I think, in two thousand and three. So it's yeah, yes. it's a long time, mate. Long overdue. I don't look any different, but uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, have I got short yeah, hair? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've put on a bit of weight. <laughs> Uh, what, what started you off as an angler, Dave? Um, well, well, I started fishing, boat fishing, when I was five years old. My dad started taking me out uh, boat fishing when I was five. Uh, one of my earliest memories was fishing in the, in the Ray off of Leon Sea. I'm a South End boy. I grew up in Leon Sea, so I fished the Thames Estuary for years. Um, Cockle capital of the world. Yeah, it is, mate. It is, yeah. Leon Sea, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we used to, my first ever trip I remember was we used to go out to Lee Ray, which is just off the end of the South End Pier, basically, and we were fishing for eels and, and flounders. So that was my first ever sea fishing experience. Um, and then, you know, I used to go out here and there with my dad fishing. But my earliest proper memory of, of of fishing was actually course fishing believe it or not and uh, my dad uh, was a bit of a dab hand at catching roach and I always oh. remember it as, as clear as day Saturday morning we used to sit down together and watch I think it was out of town or it might have been old country at that time end of the 70s early 80s with Jack Hargreaves 
We used to watch that. And then we'd walk up the road to Essex Angling, which Cliff Kemp owned at the time. And my dad would go in there and he'd buy four one kilo bags of loose hemp, uncooked, grab a couple of packets of hooks, size 14 off the shelf, maybe a float or two. And then it was like a secret, you know, have you got any? To Cliff, sort of uh, some under the counter stuff, you know, and I'll never forget it. I, I mean, you might know what they were called. I I cannot for the life of me remember, but they were long. My dad used to call them mouse droppings. They were long, thin, yeah. split shot, really soft. I think they were from France, coming a little something like a box half the size of a matchbox, all the same size. And of course, because he's fishing hemp, we, we were fishing the River Chelmer at the time. When you're fishing hemp and you've got a split shot on the line, the roach hit the shot, didn't they? Yeah. So these these long, thin lead shot were his, his secret weapon. And we used to get home, and he used to empty all the hooks out, these size 14 hooks, empty them out onto the table, and he'd push all the eyes of the hooks into the edge of cork, all the way around the, the top of a cork. And then this is while he's cooking the hemp with a load of bicarb and stuff. And then he used to get the thinnest brush you've ever seen. It probably had like three hairs on it. Tin of uh, humbrol white gloss paint you know like the old airfix stuff i do yeah. yeah and he used to paint the barb and, and the pointed hook right up just to the bend of all these size 14 hooks and then let them dry and then pull them all out the cork put them back in the packet and then he'd cook his hemp and he'd, he'd sort through the hemp and pick out the biggest blackest bits of hemp that just started to, to open you know not not the ones that had got all the the white foots coming out the bottom and those were his hook baits. And he used to paint the top of his, the point and bow of his hook to look like the white the white bit of the hemp when it bursts open. But because these little That's bits... Incredible. These bits of hemp... Yeah, attention to detail. Oh, I tell, well, oh, I'm, I'm not kidding when I'm telling you at the end of the day he had a keep net, you know, with 20 or 30 two-pound roaching. That's wow. the God's honest truth. But, yeah, yeah. My, my earliest forays into, like, serious fishing and really getting into it was stick float fishing on the river chelmer for roach and it was it was always a case of you get there you start constantly feeding hemp you know he was sitting there with like three or four kilos of hemp cooked constantly feeding hemp and you know what it's like roach bites like gone gone you miss more bites than you've got to start with but throughout the course of the session the bites start to get slower and the fish got bigger and it was always the case every single time Towards the end of the session, that's when you got your one and a half pounders and your two pound roach, your big roach. And my dad always used to say to me, "It's because they're, you know, the bites are getting really slow, and they were really, they were like slow motion bites, as opposed to when you first start, and that float just disappears in a nanosecond." And my dad always used to say, "Oh, they're getting stoned on the hemp," and of course, <laughs> you know, I believed him. Um, yeah, thinking about well, it's it, banned on many fisheries just for that. Yeah reason yeah. people said oh they get hooked on it or it grows on the bottom and yeah i kind of believe that but i also had my own theory at the time that i think when you, you're fishing in, in a river in a shoal of, of roach and they're all of all sizes they weren't all just big fish there was loads of small ones you're sitting there with four kilos of hemp and you're constantly piling it in those little fish the ones that do the really quick bites they're getting full up yeah, you know, and they're getting to the hemp quicker than the big roach are, and you know it was noticeable throughout the session. You were the fish were getting bigger and bigger, and the bites were getting slower. And so, yeah, that was my first sort of foray into into fishing, um, as well as the boat fishing. And of course, then this well, another month's time, 
it was it was elderberries, hemp and berry. Berry, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I just noticed down at the river. I walked along the river this morning, yeah. and um, the berries are forming. There's, you know, the flowers have gone on most of the plants, yeah. and the little green berries are there. And and usually around about August bank holiday, yeah, um, they start. You you can generally go and pick enough to put on the hook. And, uh, yeah, they make a bit of a difference as well. I've, I've found in recent years that using the berry now yeah. and tears as well generally results in smaller fish. Right. It's like, you know, over the years you, you find it. You know, I, I've found that when I'm fishing for dace, two maggots doesn't produce as big a dace as a single maggot. Right. I, I've no idea why. Maybe it's all in my head. But I it, don't it seems know. It, I think things have changed, me. you know. I yeah. mean, yeah, I right. especially sea fishing. You know, I, I do think... Um, fish preferences do change over the years. You look at the Thames estuary, and um, believe it or not, even though we used to use it a lot, I don't think I caught a fish on a squid no. for years and years and years. Now you can catch everything on it. And if you want everything. to catch thornback rays, it had to be fresh herring or frozen herring. Fresh herring. Cut yeah. into chunks. Well, Cox told me that. Yeah, yeah. waste of time. If you haven't got chunks of fresh herring, yeah. don't bother. Nowadays, yeah. they're not interested Some in herring. Some squid on. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're all on the squid. So they've definitely yeah. changed there. And, and smooth hounds as well. It was always peed yeah. crab. And you can catch... Or hermit crab. Yeah. yeah. Hermit or peter. Hermit if you're on the boat. Peter if That's you're it. either boat or shore. Yeah. yeah and now, now you can catch it. everything all day long on squid. So, yeah, I do, yeah. I do think things change. It's interesting as well what you say about things changing because you mentioned going off off the, uh, off the the lee there off the end of South Pier and catching flounders and eels. Both of those are in quite short supply. They are aren't indeed. They? Yeah, I mean, we used to fish in the closed season <coughs> at Erith. It, at oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we'd fish with our coarse feeder rods and catch eels and flounders. Yeah. Very very rarely a bass uh, in the. Dead of winter, when there was no water coming down the river and big tides, we might get a whiting. Yeah. And I've seen both rainbow trout and roach. <laughs> I caught I caught a roach in a drop net. Dave, trying to catch some brown shrimp for bait. Wow. I put a drop net down the side, and we're right opposite Barking Creek. Yeah, yeah. And Barking Creek was pouring out in flood, yeah. lots of fresh water coming down the Thames. And I pulled my drop now. It was half a dozen shrimps and a 10-ounce roach. It's, it's oh, weird, what's going on it? here? It is strange. Yeah, I'm, 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 I've, seen, I've seen whiting caught from exactly the same spot. So, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's how things change. But the, you mentioned thornback rays, and a ray was a real bonus yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. Now the sea's paved they're with them. They're everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They are. I remember we had John Popplewell as a guest, and, and, and I remember when he was very excited because he'd managed to catch a thorn back from the shore every month of the year. Yeah. And now they're two bob for as many as you can carry in February. That's you know, it. It, it, it's, it is, it's quite ridiculous. But it's amazing how they will change their habits, whether the squid have got more prevalent, so they've become more of a natural bait, yeah, and the herring possibly. have become less so. Yeah. Because when you think about it, you know, I, I know they have a squid match or a couple of squid matches on Bright Marina every year. Yeah. Um, certainly you can go out, and, and I've had it booked twice and been blown off twice, squid fishing off Weymouth, yeah. where they get them up to four or five pounds, you know, things yeah, like... Yeah, big squid. You know, yeah, I've done it myself. Right. I did it, did it off of Plymouth. Fish, we fished yeah. the reef down there, and yeah, they're, they're brilliant fun to catch on rod and line and squid. But yeah, things definitely change without that. I mean, you look at the hermit crab situation now in the Thames, you know, there aren't any. Really? Yeah, they've all gone. Is that because of a lack of whelks? Um, you know, because they, they, they're generally popular. The tiny ones are in winkle shells, yeah. and I don't know the, the winkle and whelk situation down yeah, there. But I, I but don't the, know, the, but they've gone. You know, I mean, there's, there's, they're still, there's still hermit crabs there, but they're tiny. 
Tiny, yeah. You know, it's maybe it's a shortage of welts because there's well a reason be. for everything. And, and you know, I mean, we're getting into a bit of environmental stuff here now. <laughs> but one of the reasons why stocks and everything have changed so much is because as one stock's depleted, Mother Nature, hating a vacuum as she does, she sends something else to fill it up. Exactly. And, yeah. and we've got rays. We had no cod. Yeah. The the, the, the um, uh, smooth hounds disappeared. Yeah. I remember at Bradwell, people say, "No, you got to fish in tennis shoes because when you're coming, you have to run after the beach down the beach." <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and that must be going back now to mid late seventies, maybe. Yeah, that sort of stuff. But now they're back bigger than they ever were then, yeah. and more prolific. Yeah, you know, people going and getting fifteen or twenty on a tide. Yeah. from the beach. Yeah, unheard. And of. you know what? Um... That is that is pretty amazing. My my experience of smooth hound fishing in the Thames was somewhat different to that. You didn't used to hear about many of them getting caught on the shore, but we used to fish, and you know I'm talking when I was probably ten, eleven, twelve years old. Um, do you remember the old fry towel buckets? I don't know if you ever used a big orange bucket that used they, they oh, used yes, to yes, put the oil in for the chip shops. Yeah, great big yes, huge sir, things. Yeah. If we went on a smooth hound trip. So the Mapling gutways, you were fishing in literally six foot of water. We'd take one and a half of them full of crab. Never caught, never counted how many there were, but you're talking hundreds because, you know, we used to catch literally hundreds of smooth hounds and they were all big fish. You know, I've had seven over 20 pounds. Biggest is 24, 12. And they, but they all, they averaged 15, 16, 17, 18 pounds. And it was just absolute, you could only ever fish one rod. And you'd have to go into the Mapling Gutways. It was just off the edge of Thalness. I wonder where the, the army firing range is. Yeah. You used yeah, to have to, you'd get six charter boats in there, and it's like fishing a river. And like clockwork, the first boat up the front, boom, had a massive hit of hounds. And what the fish were doing was they were running down the channel. So you'd have a load of hounds on the first boat, and then the second, over the radio, they're here. Second boat behind, boom, loads of fish. Third boat behind, <laughs> loads of fish. Fourth boat behind, loads of fish. By which time, you're probably talking an hour, an hour and a bit, the fish had slowed down on the first boat up the front. So you used to up anchor and get, work your way back to the, the back end Leap of frog. the rest of the boats and hit them again as they were coming through. Yeah. It was carnage, absolute carnage, That's... but amazing fishing. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing fishing, as you say, and, and starting at that that young age and seeing how it how it was then and seeing how it is now and 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 I mean I'm I used to see fish more in the seventies. Yeah. Um, because as I got older and I got transport and the close season was on, I would go to Deal and I'd go to Herne yeah. Bay and I'd go to um, um, Hythe and places like. And never catch anything. Right. <laughs> or, or rarely catch anything. If I caught a flounder, you know, you catch it, oh, another yeah. couple of pouting. And that was about it. But but now it seems you don't need to be any kind of an expert. Just have reasonable tackle, a, a simple rig yeah. and, and decent bait. I mean, I, I thought when, you know, the bait you get under the counter now is black lug. And yeah, or yellow tail. Oh, <laughs> have, have you got any other? So, oh, not a minute, mate. When the shop empties here, I've got one wrap. You can yeah. have and, 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 and that was a secret bait. Then I remember queuing up at Tony's Bait Bar, Tony Libby's in Deal, yeah. uh, to, to get to get a score of yellow tail <laughs> so I could go and, and, and thread them all up hook and catch coddling this big. You know, I'm sorry, I can see you and you can see me, but nobody can see us. 
house no. and I'm holding my two index <laughs> fingers about six inches apart and, and the codling and whiting were about the same size. Uh, codling and pouting and whiting were about the same size and we'd spend... You know, I, I could get a tray of lug. I remember getting a tray of lugworms sent by train to Waterloo wow. from Whitstable where I'd go and pick it up, yeah. and it was ten and six for a wooden <laughs> box of lugworm. And, and the bloke who, who supplied them was, was called, he was Mr. Mayle, and he lived at 88 Albert Street, Whitstable. Right. Now, I'm going back, I'm going back now to the early, late 60s, early 70s. Right. And, and we take this box of lug, and it was on—it wasn't on weight; it was on numbers. It'd yeah. be two hundred or something like that. Yeah. And then when I couldn't get that, because Dave Frame, Frames of Hendon, yeah. used to sell yeah. lug, and Jerry's of Wimbledon used to sell lug. But lo- those were the days, mate. Yeah, very, very. So, so you had your dad catching your roach, and your dad taking you on a boat. So yeah. he was a bit, bit of a hero. As you developed, did you, did you get any heroes? I mean, there were some great boat anglers at the time. I'm thinking about people like Ron Edwards, of course, who's who was the opposite side of the yeah. river from you. And, and a wonderful angler and a great competition sea angler. Yeah. Really outstanding competition. And Paul Carpenter, was it another yeah, one? There, yeah, yeah. There, there were a few people I remember that just now as I squeeze the old grey matter, their names come forward. <laughs> I'm not prepared. You know, I do prepare stuff, but I, I, you can't prepare for the conversation because you never know where it's going to go. No, did that's did it. you have anybody like that as yeah, a Yeah, well, you know, um, I was. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to this in a, in a little while about the, the whole journalism side of things. But I was very lucky, sort of landing on my feet on, in that respect. And I got to fish with a lot of my heroes, you know. Um, Alan Yates, spent a lot of time fishing with him. Um, you know, Stevie Souter, um, Ray Barron. You know, I spent a lot of time fishing oh. with John Rawl, Terry Batt. And I used to fish with Mick Toomer on the boat a lot as well. You know, all these England internationals and stuff. And, um, yeah, you just soak it all up. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of all those. The people, the, the the people that I might might have liked to have met, um, as well as those people like Ian Gillespie and John yeah. Darling. They they were sort of my sea fishing icons at the time. I didn't go very much. I was getting more into my match fishing when I got to about seventeen. I started club fishing and fishing the Thames more and, yeah. and match fishing more. But they were they were icons, you know. And, yeah. and and you know when I first called on on breakaway tackle. And yeah. Nigel Forrest was in yeah. there. Christ, and that was in the 90s when I was a rep for Diver, you know. Yeah, I'd yeah. call in and, and, and see Nigel there. And, 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 and like a, another mad inventor, he was inventing things nonstop for Breakaway. And, and you know, just, just great days. And, 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 you know, where people, and obviously we all have Ivan Marks and Dick Walker yeah. and Fred J. Taylor and those sort of people. They were real sea fishing heroes, weren't they? Yeah, absolute absolutely. Oh, I'm, we're just talking from a boat fishing perspective here. I mean, obviously not so much Alan Yates, but through my journalism career and working on the scene, so I've got the fish, you know, all over the country. And Ed Schlifka, fishing for bass with Ed Schlifka, what an eye-opener that was. The rock hopper. I never yeah. fished for bass with him, I fished for Pollock. And, and I managed to keep up with him, but you might remember when you did Tight Lines, our producer was Andy Story. Yeah. And Andy Story was hopping after him with the tripod, and he was in real trouble, he was, Andy, because he? he was a good footballer, but he wasn't that dexterous when it came to climbing about on slippery rocks at, at uh, Travaux's head and places. And and, and we, we caught some lovely Pollock that day, actually, with Ed, the mad rock hopper. I, I, has he still got his shop in, in um, Padstow? I don't know if he's still got his shop, but the last I heard is... is daughter was running it but it's still about i'm still in touch with yeah. him on, on facebook and, and on messenger keep planning yeah, to go right down up. and see him again which I, I will do you know now all this yeah. lockdown's over i'm going to go back down and catch up i've not seen him for was, years 
I used to go past the shop, but not go in it. When I used to, I used to go to Whiteacres quite a lot. I used to go down there and do some some talks and stuff. Right, and and, and it was on the walk from Rick Stein's fish and chip That's shop it. round to Rick Stein's patisserie. <laughs> uh, I, I went. I used to go past. I'd, I'd have my fish and chips in in, in Stein's fish and chip shop yeah. or outside Stein's fish, and, chip, and then walk round and have my lemon tort for dessert from <laughs> from out of the out of the patisserie and, and buy some truffles that were. I'm going back a few years now. They were a pound each for a little wow. blooming truffle the size of a. A Rolo, you know, but they were nice. Excellent. Yeah, so, yeah happy day. Edgeliff, of course. You are scraping your old grey matter out here. <laughs> so so you, you mentioned your journalism and your career. Yeah. And, and obviously we both had angling as a career for a, a various number of years yeah, in, I mean, in various guises. Did, uh, did you uh, – I mean, I found it both a curse and a blessing. Yeah, it is. It's a double-edged sword. It always is. You know, you're, you're in the public eye and – you know, you've got responsibilities to deal with and you take a lot of flack for it, don't you? Your head's mm. above the pulpit, you're going to get shot at. And yeah, no, it is. But for me, it's, 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 and it still is, it's an absolute dream. I mean, I've, I've sort of, yeah. I've, I've, I'm still writing for Sea Angler magazine, but you know, yes. now I'm, I'm, I'm editing, um, Air Rifle magazine, Air Gunner magazine. Oh, yeah. At the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that all stemmed from my childhood. It's it's a long. Shall I bore you with the really long, boring story of how all this came about? Oh, good, carry on, mate. Yeah, carry on. Okay, so listen. Over over these shows, we've caught thousands and thousands of fish, but we've never (laughs) shot an air rifle, and none of us have ever edited. So yes, it's very interesting. Okay, so yeah, so my interest in fishing started when I was that young, Um, and then I uh, after all the roach fishing and stuff with my dad. I went to big school, went to secondary school, 11 years old. And halfway through the term, it was said that there was going to be an inter-school fishing competition. So I thought, yeah, I'm up for that. I'll put my name down for that. (laughs) So I did. And it was at Stanbridge Trout Fisheries. And I forget what time of the year it was, but it was Baltic. Half the lake was frozen. And you had two five-kid teams ranging from like 11 to 13 years old. And we sat there and we fished for an hour or two, absolutely freezing. Nothing was happening. And uh, so then you've got basically 10 kids just walking around trying to keep warm. And... uh the stones <laughs> across the ice. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and there's a stock pond behind it. And they'd, left, they'd recently netted it and there was a net left in the water and there was a trout flocking about in this net. So I sort of... I've seen it from the distance and I've wandered over to him. There's another kid standing there and uh, turned out to be my lifelong brother from another mother. We're still best mates now. Uh, but he was two years above me. He was in the third year of school. So I'm in the first year and I thought he'd seen this fish as well. I've gone over to investigate. And as I got closer, his head was down. He wasn't looking at this fish. And I thought, what's he doing? So I walked up behind him and said, you all right, mate? And he's like, look, turned around and looked at me and he's like, oh, what? Hello. I said, what are you doing? He said, uh, I'm weighing on my hands to keep them warm. <laughs> right? I said, you what? And he said, go on, have a go. So I did, right? But this is the first and only time I've ever done Not this. Not with his way. No, with my own. First and, ever, <laughs> first and only every time I did it. That's how we met. And yeah, it worked for like two minutes until it was back to frozen again. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, needless to say, you know, I grabbed all his arm, he's leant over and he's got this trout, he shoved it up his jumper and we were just running back to the lake. We were supposed to be fishing, giggling our heads off. 
trying to chunk, you know, trying to chuck it in the keep net so we'd win the match. <laughs> uh, we got got to the keep net and we went, oh, and like the owners spotted us. And needless to say, no fish were caught at all during that day, and we got disqualified anyway for trying to cheat. But yeah, he was my he was my new best friend, and we've been lifelong buddies ever since, Chris Harvey. But he. Well, because I knew a bloke called Tony Vine used to use that warming his hands up trick. Right. <laughs> yeah. I thought it might have been him for one weird moment. Right. Know. No, no, no. Chris Harvey, his name is. So, yeah. So I met him and he was into his in fishing. Not in such a big way that I was, but he was he was into it. And he was a member of a club in Hadley in Essex called Colony Lakes. So there's four lakes there. You've got two small lakes, which are basically like ponds called Big Piggery and Little Piggery. And then there's a reservoir. And then there's a Blue Lagoon, which is like a cart lake at the time. It was sort of like a syndicate type thing. And I was just, you know, I've done my rage fishing. I'm still doing loads of sea fishing. And so I started going out there with Chris. And we were fishing the piggeries, which were stacked full of really nice cruisions and tench. So I cut my teeth, and I did about two years solid on the piggeries, fishing for cruisions and tench, which is why I've, I've regressed sort of 38 years, and I'm just getting back into it because there's a lake literally 100 yards out of my back gate that I've hardly fished, and I've been here three years. It's a day ticket, it's a fiver a day, and there's some cruisions in there, and and tench and, and run and roach and bream and, and carp. So, yeah, I've been getting back into it, and I've... I've just bought myself, I've managed to get hold of some Drennan Stillwater Blues. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah, I do, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to give that a go. But I've, I'm digressing. So I've fished the piggeries, and then we started fishing the reservoir a bit because there were some bigger cruisers in the reservoir. And then one day, Chris has said, come on, there's, there's some perch in there as well. Let's have a go for them. Some nice ones up to sort of, you know, nudging two pound. So I, I was up there with him one day, middle of the summer. It was roasting hot. And the level of the reservoir dropped a lot because they pumped a load of water out for the fields. They're irrigation reservoirs yeah, in that part yeah. of the world. Yeah, there's only about two, two and a bit acres, absolutely nothing, just a big oval, you know, nothing around it, yeah. no trees, nothing, set up high on the land. And um, so the trick was I was fishing a 13 foot, I think it was a Shakespeare Omni match rod, like a glass rod, and little fixed ball reel. I had five pound line on, size 14 hook, and a waggler. And the trick was. To cut pull out some red maggots, a double red maggot on the on the hook, cast it out, and then cut pull out some more red maggots, and the perch would come up off the bottom, and you'd catch them like on the drop. So I was doing that, catching a load of perch, and then all of a sudden, I've caught, put some maggots out, cast out. Before I could pick the catapult up again to put another load of maggots over the top, it's just slid away and carried on going, and the tip's gone, and I picked the rod up, and it's just gone and gone and gone. And it done 100, 120 yards of line off me, right over to the other side of the reservoir on a diagonal. And I was like, what the hell was this? Up until that point, I'd never seen a carp before. And, you know, this fish is taking line. I didn't know what to do. I started walking around the reservoir to try and catch up with it. And just as luck would have it, another school friend of mine who was in by a year, Steve, was just, just turned up and he was having a walk around and he was walking towards us. Uh, and he was a member of the carp lake, the carp syndicate. And he was just shouting to me, stay where you are, you'll be all right, stay where you are. And he'd seen the fish under the float because it had gone right over to where he was, you know. So it took him a couple of minutes to walk around. And by that time, I'd got this fish in, cut a long story short, it was the biggest carp in the reservoir called Big Scale, 25 and a half pounds. Ooh. And from that moment, it was like, 
that was good fun. I want to do more of this. <laughs> so I, then I got into carp fishing, as well as still going sea fishing. My dad took me charter fishing on the boat from the age of about eight, when I really started getting into me fishing, not really properly. Um, once every two weeks, we'd go out on the boat fishing. So the other times I was either up the river with him, or now I was just transfixed by, by a carp. So I got into me carp fishing, and it was that capture of that fish that, sp- that kick-started my entire 27 years I've been doing it now, writing for magazines and editing magazines, fishing magazines, and it was that capture that kicked it all off. Um, because that was the first feature I ever wrote, even though it was quite some years later. In 1994 it was. Um, I wrote that feature in, in Cartworld and got published. But yeah, in the time leading up to that, I was still fishing, got really into my carp fishing. And by now I've sort of I've left school and I went to work in London. I did four and a half years at McCann Ericsson's, which at the time, and it may still be, was the biggest commercial advertising agency in the world. You know, we were looking after Coca-Cola, P&O Ferries, Martini, Glenfiddich, you know, massive L'Oreal, Nestle, Nescafe, Nescafe. We had all of those brands. It was it was a multi-billion pound company. At that time, um, what are we talking now? We're talking sort of early, well, late 80s, early 90s. They, they had um, 120 agencies worldwide, you know, and it was just billions and billions of pounds all over the place. So I did that for four and a half years. And then there was a, a financial crash and literally a third of the workforce in London got made redundant within commercial advertising. So by now, what was I? I was 18, 19 years old. No, I would have been 20. So I, I had a gap year, right? God bless my, my parents. I signed on the doll. I've got a bit of, de- little, decent little bit of money redundancy, but I was willing to my cart fishing. Signed on the doll, and I, I did literally carp fish for a whole year, solid. And I say, give or take... 14, 20 days out of that entire year, I spent fishing the Blue Lagoon and the reservoir and caught every fish that was known in the lake. And I even caught fish out of the Blue Lagoon. Bearing in mind, this lake's been here for donkeys. I caught fish, carp out of there that people didn't even know were in there. But that's anyone can do that. If you spend a whole year on a lake, every single yeah. day, you can do it. You know, the but time just, bandit phenomenon. <laughs> it was. You know, so I did that and then I thought, End, end of the year, it was like, you know, I've caught all of this, done all this, and, you know, I've got to sort my life out now. I'm, I'm 21 years old, you know, I've done that, and I've had a gap year, if you like, and I've, I've got to sort myself out. So my mum, at the time, my mum was writing for Cart World, and then later Cart Talk, uh, and then she was writing for one of the air gun mags, because up until before I did that year of carp fishing, I was doing loads of air gun shooting and, and, and stuff. That was through Chris and his dad as well. And they had some, some hunting ground. Um, and then, yeah, I thought I've got to do something about it. So my mum said, why don't you write a feature for Carp World? Because at the time I was I was a field tester for Kevin Nash. I was running, I've still got on a field testing account with Nashy. I still get a load of stuff off of him. My, my number is 00015. I was the 15th person that Nashi had as a, a field tester. Yeah. And yeah, so I wrote a feature 
got published in Cartworld um, by Tim Paisley, and I thought, and I got paid for it, you know. And after being on the dole for a year, whatever it was I got, I can't remember. And I thought, well, this is good. I could do this. But rather than just carry on writing from that moment at, at you know, cart magazines and stuff, I decided to go to Southend College and do a multimedia course. I think it was like a BTEF or something like that in those days, which was newspaper, radio, magazine, journalism, with a bit of video production thrown in. So I've done about three months of that. Um, and part of the course was to do a week's work experience, whether it be with a local radio station or a local newspaper or magazine or whatever. And like I said, my mum had built, uh, all through this time, my mum had started building her career writing about my exploits and my dad's exploits and our, our, all our mates' exploits, whether it be fishing or shooting. She was writing for all these magazines and doing recipes for In Previously Angling magazine. And she made a few phone calls and got me a week's work experience at EMAP with In Previously Angling magazine. So, which would have been fairly new then, I guess, wouldn't they? Yeah, great success with improve your course yeah. fishing. Yeah, so I, I went to EMAP on the Monday and was supposed to be there the whole week, Monday to Friday, just as a week's work experience as part of my degree, if you like, this college course. So I got there on a Monday and it was their press week. It was Cliff, Cliff Brown was the editor then, and he's still a very good friend now, and he's the editor of Sea Angler now. But uh, did three days. And I edited a few news stories and rearranged the the, the colour transparency um, photo library. Do you remember them colour transparencies? A lot of kids okay. listening to this don't know what we're talking about. We used to call them trannies in them days, but it's a whole different yeah. meaning nowadays. Yeah, different ball game that is now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, but yeah, you're, you're, I do remember them very well. Yeah. In fact, I don't think they've got any left because my archive piece that I'd write now in angling times yeah. they're always struggling to find photos for it yeah I think they dumped them all I think yeah. when when Bauer takes, I took over email I think they dumped them all but yeah I was there for, the, for this week of work experience and you know Cliff Brown was absolutely brilliant and then on the Thursday morning this guy's come down in the office trainers jeans shirt sort of half tucked in moustache and a ponytail found out his name was Andy and they've gone right come on we're off to a Shakespeare trade show and it was like we had the whole trade show for the day because we are EMAP you know we had all the mm. guys from Angling Times like Dave Woodman Z and, and uh, Mick Rouse a photographer and um, you know Trout Salmon Sandy Levinson all, all, all the mags that EMAP had the fishing mags at the time we've gone to this Shakespeare trade show and it's the first time I'd ever done anything like that so I'm walking around there looking at all these rods and reels. I was like a kid in a sweet shop, you know, wow, these are yeah. great. Picking up rods, lure rods and stuff that are designed for catching trout, brook trout and stuff in a Scottish river somewhere and, and saying, that would make a lovely mullet rod, you know, and, you know, just saying stuff like that and, and looking at all this tackle. I'd never had the opportunity, even though we had a tackle shop at the top of the road, didn't have stuff like that in it. And... um after the trade show, guys, when I made their notes and stuff of what gear they want to review and stuff, we hit the bar. And uh, 
Yeah, it got a little bit messy. <laughs> always a popular, always a popular spot at trade shows. Yeah, yeah, it got a little bit messy. And there was company cards going over the bar and everything. And I stood a lot of the time talking to this guy, and he still didn't know who he was. I thought he was one of the guys from one of the Macs. Anyway, I've gone back in with a hangover on the Friday morning. I'm supposed to be there all day, and Cliff's turned around and said, "Look, Max got bed. We haven't really got a lot to do. You've completely reorganised the library and everything. You might as well go home." It was ten o'clock in the morning. I never forget it. Said you might as well go home now. So I've driven from Peterborough back to Leon C, which in those days was at least a two and a half hour drive, maybe three, because it was the old A1 with do you remember Norman Cross roundabout? Oh, don't even know. It was a there, two you know. mile tailback. And, and every and every other damn roundabout. I'm yeah, saying. it was it was a it was a two mile two mile tailback either side, whatever time of the day it was, because it was only a dual carriageway now, so I've opened it up to four lanes and whatnot. So I've driven back, but on the way back to my mum, she, my mum weren't expecting me back till half seven. On the way back to my mum's, so I had to go past the lake. So I've gone in, had a look around the lake, spoke to a few lads that were fishing there, sat and had a cup of coffee with them, you know. And I rocked up at home at about half past four, you know, thinking I'm like two, three hours early. My mum's at the door screaming, she, where the hell have you been? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. She knew I'd left at 10 o'clock. And apparently, this guy Andy had been phoning the house He'd phoned six times and, you know, then left his number. I didn't know, but Andy was Andy Benham, who just happened to be the publisher of all the fishing mates at the time. And he offered boss, me a yeah. job. He offered oh. me a job. So I ditched the college course, and that was how I got into journalism. I had an interview in a pub that I didn't even know about. <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible story, yeah. That is it's just the right place, the right time. I mean, there is a theme to, to the way I've worked around various magazines. I've, the only interview that I've not had in a pub has been the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible story, that is, Dave. I, I, I had no idea about that. Now, back back to the fishing, and, and, and I know you sent me a fantastic uh, YouTube thing to look at yesterday with... Um, the great flip pallet. Yeah, what a guy. A tarpon. Yeah, and that was another thing. What when, a film. When you said, you, you know, can we do this? And it was like, yeah, I'd love to, absolutely love to. And I thought, I've got to talk about my childhood and how I got into it all. And, you know, that earliest memory of fishing for the roach and watching Jack Hargreaves. But that, Walker's Key Chronicles, was another program I used to watch with my dad. And I saw that, that, that film and it was like, Oh, I want to catch one of them. And it was, you know, you set yourself goals in life and you might have a target species and stuff. That was one of my targets. Oh, ever since that early age, I wanted to catch a tarpon. After watching him do that, it was just, I mean, you saw it yesterday, didn't you? If the guys listening to this want to want to see it, it's, I've linked, put the link on my Dave Barham Fishing Facebook page. Oh, yeah. If you just go to that, you can see it. But it was a way, you know, I think they were just fishing for anything. They were, he, he caught some snook and it, he caught some redfish, and he was only fishing a small fly on a 30-pound tippet. That's right, yeah. And, and the guide pulling along has just said, there's a tarp on. And like, you know, he saw it, flips there. Where? I can't see it. And he couldn't see it. And flips well, The guy standing on that platform, yeah, four yeah, foot you know, above you, the boat, makes such a difference. You've done it, haven't you? You can't see yeah. it. And he's positioning the boat, and he's, going, he's in front of you, and then he's finally saw it, and he's done his thing with the fly. Right? The I think that ends the head. 
Yeah. And yeah. he's in the Everglades, so he's not on, like, the flats down the bottom of the Keys. He's no. Walker's Keys, spelt C-A-Y, by the way. Walker's C-A-Y, yeah. not K-E-Y. So uh, he, he's obviously in the Everglades because you can see the tea-stained water. That's it, yeah. And so he's, in the man- he's, he's by the mangrove sort of stuff. He's not, yeah. he's not like, off the flats off Ballast Key and Key West or Hen and Chickens or any of those famous no. places like that. He's in murky water. Yeah. I think I think this ends the head. It's just crazy footage, isn't it? It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. Wow, and the water balls. Great photography. They've obviously got two boats out there. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't know. It's almost like these days you'd have a drone. But yeah. it, it, it's it's phenomenal photography. And I, I don't know how long ago it was. Thirty years old, maybe I, that. I, I think it's probably longer maybe than that. More. I think it's maybe more. at least forty years old. I mean, for the time I think it was just groundbreaking stuff. And yeah. the way that you know, he's hooked this fish, isn't he? And it's the ball is exploding. It's jumped and jumped, and the guy's gone. That's a big fish, yeah. and it's gone, and it's and it's off, and it's and the fly reel screaming, and the, and the guy started poling for his life. Can you <laughs> pole faster? There's yeah, six turns left on the reel, <laughs> and you see the reel, and you see that line just disappear and disappear down to six turns of backing left yeah. on this massive reel, and then it stops, and it's like. Then he starts turning the reel and getting some line back, and it's wow, what an amazing bit of footage that was. Yeah. And then and I've it, lost it. Oh, yeah. no, never mind. He's winding. His, no, no, it's coming towards. It's coming towards. It's coming. Yeah. It was so exciting. It, it, and it was like real fly on the wall stuff, but it was almost like an old man and the sea type film. It was like, yeah. like a drama documentary. It wasn't really like a, a real time documentary at all. It was just an amazing film. And, and when I saw that tarpon jump for the first time, you know how big tarpon are yeah. by the, the, the distance the fat bit goes down their body. That's it. And, and that was as fish. wide just above the tail as it was just behind the gills. That yeah. was a proper chunk. I mean, I've yeah. no idea uh, what it weighed. It was certainly in excess of 120 pounds. I mean, it was a yeah, very, definitely. very big fish. And, and, you know, luckily, luckily, like you, I've, I've, I've managed to catch some that size. Not on a fly rod. I've never caught one on a fly rod. Never. I've, I've, had, I've only had one go, to be honest, and I've, right. I've had them properly fly fishing for time. I mean, I've tried when there's been loads of school behind us taking the chum and, you know, got yeah. them lined up in the, behind the boat in Key West, and I've tried banging a fly out then, and I could have cheated and stuck a bit of chum on and hooked one, <laughs> which I know a lot of people do. But yeah. that, that, you know, if, I'm, if I'm going to catch one on a fly, I'm going to catch it on the fly. I'm going to catch it bait fishing with a fly rod. That's not, no. you know, no. m- much as much as I'm, I'm not a purist in any sense of the word. I do draw the line. At that. I was, I was, <laughs> yes, I, I think you have. So I, I, I don't put bait on fly rods. So I've not done that. But I've, I've no. had plenty. I've had some on on plugs and and stick baits. And I've had an awful lot bait fishing because we had yeah. probably the prime time of the Florida Keys tarpon fishing when the shrimp boats were still coming in, yeah, when yeah. you had the chum available and you could just yeah. go and, and give, give the, the captain of the shrimp boat a six-pack of Coca-Cola and, and, and come back in. with 10, 10 bushels, literally <laughs> fill the boat up to the gunnels with bait and, and we'd, we'd motor out 40 miles to get it and then motor back again. And, yeah. it was, and, and you'd, you'd get this, this, this um, the, the shrimp boat bycatch still warm from the Gulf of Mexico. The, the, the chum <laughs> would still be warm or it had never even been on ice or anything. And you'd get no. a big shrimp in amongst it as well that used to chore out. Um, a, big, you know, a big gold shrimp. But the, yeah, they, that, we, we saw the, the, the best of that. And, and, and you obviously loved your tarpon fishing when John Rule, you've already mentioned. Yeah. Started his he, 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 he used to love his cod fishing in the winter. Then he decided tarpon fishing was even better. 
Yeah, that's it. So, it was more. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, he set up camp in Isla Mirada, didn't he? And, 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 right, and yeah. ran a chart about there for a long with a couple yeah. of other guys. Yeah, I caught, caught quite a few tarp on with John, and then uh, my old mate Jim O'Donnell started an operation up over there, and I caught quite a few of them. I've been lucky enough to catch a couple of tarp on on the fly, but only little baby ones, and that was in Puerto yeah. Rico. Oh yeah, um, yeah, up to about thirty pound. Um, but they're all small fish. On, thirty pound fish on the fly, mate, is massive. It was, you know, it, and then, it, I, it, I, then I had an eighteen pound snook after, and I didn't know what yeah. a snook was. I'd never no, caught one. Well, <laughs> I've, I've only caught one of those on the fly. That was £7.11, but it was a special yeah. one because, it, you know, they, 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 I don't know if you've heard them called line siders, but they call them yeah, line yeah. siders. It's a very pronounced lateral line. That's well, it. I took a photo of this. I, it was the first Apple photo flash camera. Right. And I downloaded it onto my Apple PowerBook, which yeah. was my first ever computer, and took it into Chittam's, the old shopping island Rada. And there was a yeah. guy in there who, who used to run the fly fishing department. I mean, his name's just disappeared out of my mind, but it will come back. Chet. Chet, his name was, yeah. and I said, oh, look, Chet, I caught my first one on the fly. He went, I've never seen one like that, and I laughed, and he was a snook specialist. I said, yeah. come on, mate, don't mind me up, don't, you know, butt him up. He said, no, really, look, and it had two lines. The line split right. and rejoined again by the anal fin, wow. and he said, it's the only double line side I've ever seen. Did you take a picture of the other side? And, and no, I hadn't. I was fishing with a guide yeah. at the time called Mark Burns, who packed up and started selling real estate at Fort Myers. But, but yeah, I also had one fourteen pound with him on bait. But I'm, that was the only. I think I've only ever caught those two snook. Um, but yeah, that that was uh, yeah that, that was that was that was great yeah. fishing. That was just unbelievable fishing. Well, I'd say I mean that was the first snook I'd ever seen. I'd heard about them, and I've heard they were really hard to catch. You know, yeah. and I was fish fly fishing for these tarpon, and I caught this fish, and it was eighteen pound, which you know, meant nothing to me. And I'm ashamed to say it, but it meant nothing to me because I didn't really know how big they grew. And the guide was absolutely going off his, his head. You know, man, that's a trophy fish. That's a trophy snook. You know, and you've caught it on the fly. And I was like, oh, right, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to trump you, but I'm going to give you another for instance of that. I was out with a, a guide who's quit now. He, he's got a commercial operation, a, a commercial fishing and shrimping operation, um, a fish warehouse, basically. A guy called Manny Ravello out from Key West. And um, we went out into the Gulf of Mexico on the shrimp boats looking for, t- looking for tuna, blackfin tuna. <clears throat> and what you do is you pull up behind the shrimp boat where we mentioned the, the bycatch and they sweep this bycatch back into the sea. And it goes back into circulation because there are fish there to eat it. Yeah. And what you're doing, you're looking. There's usually schools of bonito, sometimes sharks, especially now there are so many millions of sharks in the Gulf now, these little yeah. Atlantic shark noses and, and others, little miniature lemons and all that kind of thing. And, and, and we'd go up and we'd find the bonito and just slowly drift away from the boat, just throwing in bits of chum and trying to spot blackfin tuna. Yeah. And if we found a couple of blackfin tuna, then we'd fish, try and sort those out from the bonito, which he had a brilliant technique for. I won't go into here, but it, you, 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 he, he had a brilliant technique for yeah, keeping yeah. the blackfin tuna and letting the bonitos go away. And there were these few blackfin tuna coming along, and I, he said, try on your fly rod. So I had a 10-weight fly rod yeah. and 20-pound um, tippet, and I had these flies that someone had tied for me that imitated the chum, and they had like a couple of feathers. It was like... A bit like a gotcha, but absolutely no weight and no dressing. So it was just right. like a couple of flies yeah, that sank slowly through the water like the chum did. 
So yeah. I, 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 he, he said, there's one now. He said, put it And I put it in, and I thought this fish, he went, that's huge. And I, I fought <laughs> this fish for quite a while on the fly rod, and we got it in, and I've got a picture of it, the mandatory picture with me with the fly rod held in my teeth. Yeah. And this bloody great tarpon. In those days, I had a much bigger belly, this uh, um, blackfin tuna, and I had a big belly underneath it, <laughs> and, and uh, poking out from my shorts and everything. Uh, and, and he said, that's massive. We'll weigh that when we get back, because we, we obviously took them home and eat. Yeah, yeah. If we, we kept one or two each time, took home and yeah. ate them. Well, back to the, the accommodation and took them out to a restaurant and they cook them for us. And I put it on the scales back at back, back at um, Garrison Bite Marine. He was running out of Garrison Bite at the time. He eventually went to Hurricane Hull. Uh, so we put it on put it on the scales and the IGFA registered scales, and it was exactly thirty pounds. And, right. and the world record, the world record blackfin at the time was forty nine pounds six wow. caught from Isla Mirada. Now yeah. I was a member of the IGFA, uh, and every year you got the world record book. Yeah. So I got the world record book, and so just be interested to see what the world record is for blackfin on fly. Twenty pound tippet, twenty one pounds six. Wow. <laughs> but it. they had one pending of exactly £30, obviously not mine, because yeah, I, yeah. I didn't realise the importance. So, yeah, a £30 fish on the fly, mate, is a monster. Yeah. A monster. Yeah, it was and, very, and the blackfin tuna one. tasted nicer than the tarpon as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've, I, been, I've been very, very lucky um, in my career working for the various magazines. I went from previously angling to to total sea fishing. Yeah. Yeah, when EMAC... Had a, had a knack of, of just closing magazines every couple of years they'd, they'd close mags even though they were really profitable um, so they closed uh, total, uh, in previous angling and I got a phone call a day later from David Hall yeah, um, yeah I went and worked on uh, Improver um, Total Sea Fishing and that was a you know my time on Improver Sea Angling was probably the you know the best time of my life um, because I was getting to fish all around the country and I was fishing with all these guys, all my heroes and and I was just, you know, it was my job to take on board what they were saying and what they were doing and con- and convey that in a magazine to read to it, you know. It, to translate it, yeah, to translate it. it. So I'm learning all the time, you know. At, at that point, my sea fishing experience had been the Thames Estuary and fishing Leon Sea and we used to go down to Brixham like a couple of times every year. That was my dad's other passion was fishing for big conger eels. We'd, we'd do yeah. five days straight fishing for big eels. Um, but then, you know, I've got this whole new world and I was like a kid possessed. You know, I was 22 years old and all of a sudden I've got this whole new world opened up to me and, and Cliff Brown, the editor, bless him, um, still a very good friend of mine, his worth ethic was if you get the work done and you do it really well, you know, I'm just going to let you get on with it. Yeah. Um, and he taught me all the, the editing side of things and stuff. You know, he was, he was very, very good at all that. But yeah, you know, I'd I'd literally, I'd drive across to Wales, fish for cod with Bradley Risborough, come back to the office, you know, drive back the same night, go to the office the next day, write that up, then drive down to Cornwall, fish with Edge come back, write that up, go over to Norfolk, fish with bass with Jock Goody, come back, write that up, down the south coast, fish with Alan Yates, and then never cross the deal, fish with Steve Orm. I was, you know, all over the country, and then over to Ireland, and then the Channel Islands, constantly, for, for like four and a half years. I worked out that I did well over 200,000 miles on the road in four and a half years. That's quite, well, when you think about it, you've got two places, you've got um, DHP, which is in rugby, yeah, and Ang- EMAP, now Bower, which is in yeah. Peterborough, 
they're, they're quite a long way from the sea. Exactly. <laughs> you're like two or three hours I'm just going to nip out, nip out and dig some lugworm and you're gone all day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, when I started at the HP um, on Telt Sea Fishing, that was sort of boom time um, as far as travelling around the world is concerned. Because the tour, at that time, towards the back end of previous angling and, and Telt Sea Fishing, the tourist boards were going crazy. You know, the yeah. Bahamas, Mexico, Kenya... They all wanted editors and, and journalists over to promote fishing in these countries, and they had massive budgets. And I got on board with uh, Peter Petzer from Worldwide Fishing Safaris, yes. and, and Jim Midgley was there as well. And they took me all around the world fishing. So, Nightmare. you know, a yeah. lot of the Caribbean, lots of time in Kenya. Um, yeah, and it was great. And I, I had a bucket list of fish that I wanted to catch. And to be honest with you, I think this is probably why I'm still doing all my sea fishing and, and carp fishing now and a bit of trout fishing. But I think this is why I've sort of regressed 38 years and I'm going back to where I started it all with the, with the, the cruisings and, and the tents because I have caught, I've been so lucky and so grateful to, put, to have done what I've done so far in my life. And I've caught everything I've wanted to catch apart from one fish, which yeah. I was supposed to be going to catch this year. But of course, yeah. COVID messed it all up. It's my fiftieth mix. All what right, okay. A rooster fish. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I've seen oh. them caught. I've seen them to fifty pound caught caught off the shore right in front of me. And Costa Rica. Never... Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I've, I've, I've never caught, and I've, and I've never fished where they live. Uh, mine is um, is is a hundred pound plus yellowfin tuna. That's what I'd really right. like. So, and I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, I've, yeah, caught, yeah. I've, I've caught some relatives of the rooster fish. I've caught yeah. African pompano or Cuban jacks, whatever you want to call them. I've caught plenty of amber jacks and yeah. kingfishers they're known in Australia. I've, I've, I've had more of my share in them. Biggest amber jack I caught with the tape, to, didn't weigh it, taped out 65 pounds, which was which, which yeah. I caught on, yeah. on, a, on a lure and, you know, a, a 12-pound class rod, which was which was damn good fun. Uh, but a big yellowfin, I might be too old now. I'm not sure. I've got a great yellowfin story that I'll, I might tell you one day. I'll, I'll be completely you honest with you, Keith. There's only two fish that have ever put the hurts on me. I've never fought a fish from a chair. Mm. Always on stand-up gear. Uh, I don't actually... I, yeah. Yeah, it was just those two fish. Um, Giant Valley. Yeah. I had three on the trot out in Kenya, yeah. all around sort of 70, 80 pounds. Yeah. You know, that the last one really hurt me. But the, the only fish that's hurt me was a yellowfin tuna. Yellowfin and I had tuna. that on uh, 30 class stand-up gear with 40 pound line and we were fishing for sailfish out yeah. kenya and it's actually i was on my honeymoon <laughs> and uh i happened to hook and land a 95 and a half kilo yellow Ooh. fin just Ooh. with a butt pad yeah. <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would do i mean i've, I've had a couple of, i've had a couple of marlin Pain. chairs but i've had i've had a big thresher big thresher on stand up and i've had um, a, a, a gt i had a 64 pounder again off kenya um stood up that um yeah that 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 does you know i, I was sort of giving it maximum and and the guy had said to me do you want a harness i said no you're all right <laughs> yeah. and i wound down and i looked over and i could see this gt and it's swimming along with two of his mates yeah. It was about about forty feet down. It's gin clear water, isn't it? You yeah. know, we're, we're we're down at um, at Pemba Channel, down by Pemba yeah, Island, yeah. on on the Zanzibar border. And I've sort of wound down on this fifty pound outfit, and I've pulled with all my might, and it's got those big pectoral fins out. It's just 
lolloping along, having a little <laughs> mooch under the seat. And I said, let's just try that harness a minute, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and I put the other, just, and They don't give up, do they? No, no. After 45 minutes, I, I, I got this thing up to the boat, and it was it was a monster, <laughs> wonderful fish to catch. And, and when you think about it, they're not dissimilar to a bream in shape. They're quite no. two-dimensional, but they don't fight like bream, I no, can tell you. Don't. No, <laughs> so, they don't no. fight like bream at all. They, well, you know, they, they just don't ever give up. You get them to the boat, and they go off again, and you get them to yeah. the boat, and they go up. You can't stop them. A bream on a motorbike, maybe. But yeah, it's it, nice. It's really <laughs> God, they are unbelievable fish. But a, a, a decent yellowfin, and, and I will. When I see you, I, I'll remind me, and I'll tell you the Mauritius yellowfin story. I wasn't there, and, and it was recounted to me by two different people on a boat. But, right. but that, that's a, that's a great story about someone catching a big yellowfin and something else at the same time. So, um, back off, off, still on the fishing theme, but but slightly different. You, you were a very vocal um, opponent or protagonist, rather, of the Anglican yeah. Trust. And you've completely done a, done a 180, haven't you? Have you're, you're, been, now, yeah. you're now as keen a fan as it's possible to be, almost. And that's happened Absolutely. just about this year. What, what, is, what happened to make you convert? You've changed right. religion, basically. OK, I, mean, I don't want to get myself into trouble here. But <laughs> no, no, no. You, you I was know, pretty vocal. I mean, I, when I, it was at the time when I was editor of Boat Fishing Monthly, and when they launched the Anglican Trust, you know, they... they, they they didn't invite anyone from any of the sea fishing mags to the big launch in London. It was all the course fishing and, and salmon fishing guys. So right from the off, I thought, well, this is how it's going to go, is it? And then as time progressed, you know, I gave them space in the mag to, to, to do stuff. And, and David was, was, was writing stuff for the magazine just so, that, you know, they had the voice for, for this thing thing. But, you know, my opinion at the time was they were more focused on all the the course fishing and whatnot. What really swung it was when the whole bass fiasco kicked off. Um, and I soon realised that it wasn't actually the angling trusts that were pushing really hard for this bass ban and, and two bag limit stuff. It was all coming directed through CFAS. And I kind of worked out that the angling trust had their hands tied and it wasn't all their fault. Um, and, you know, after speaking to David Mitchell, um, Nigel Farage... He's, really, he's a marine head of... Yeah, yeah. Trust, you know, I was, I, I was pushed over to uh, to Brussels, to the European Parliament, by Nigel Farage for the launch of the Brexit fisheries meetings and this, this bash debate with the, the whole of Europe in the European Parliament. Me and Barney Wright, we went over on the Euro Tunnel. And, uh, you know, I was got talking to David over there. And, um, yeah, I, I, I soon realised it wasn't all the Anglican Trust fault. And I knew it was a funding thing. They couldn't dedicate as much time as they wanted to to the sea fishing side of things because there was hardly any sea fishing members. There was like 100 or something. You know, it was really tiny, tiny, tiny amount of sea fishing members and, and, most and of they were course, actually punching above their weight for that number of members, weren't they? They were, indeed. For what they were doing, yeah, at the time, they they were yeah, really punching above their weight. Um, and then, yeah, and of course we've had the, this coronavirus and lockdown and Martin Sorter um, kept phoning me up saying, you know, can, do you mind giving us a bit of advice for this and a bit of advice for that? And I was working really quite closely with him on you know things that were happening and how we could probably try and get around the the whole charter boat side of things with the social distancing and 
you know, there's, it wasn't just me involved. There was lots of other people. Dave Lewis was involved, and Henry Gilby, and and I think Rob Howard. You know, there was and chart skippers themselves. Obviously, mm-hmm. there was loads of people involved in it all. But yeah, I started this sort of working relationship with with Martin and, and the new CEO Jamie. And I thought, I thought, you know what? Um, these guys are really doing what they can um, with limited resources. And I thought, you know, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't hold any grudges. It's, you know, it's time for me oh, to step I do. up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm one of those who don't think you will forget very much. Well, but <laughs> Keith, if you if you remember, I did kind of piss you off a bit. Oh, I just swear, sorry. <laughs> uh, you, you could probably beat that out. I did upset you a little bit once regarding the angling trust because i wrote something in my editorial when they had the whole ambassadors thing came out yeah and it was they'd made you the sea angling ambassador and i was a bit peeved oh, an ambassador i wasn't the sea angling ambassador i was an ambassador yeah. right I, I, at yeah. the time i think it was announced to me that you were something oh, to yeah. do the same and, and i said I wrote, quote, yeah. I wrote something about it you know keeps a brilliant angler you know excellent course angler blah 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 but you know, I know he's done done a bit of boat fishing, but he spends most of his time over in Florida fishing for tarpon. That's something like that at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, you but know, why don't, fish? Get, why don't you get one of the chart skippers <laughs> or one of the sea, yeah. you know, guys that are doing it day in, day out over here. So anyway, yeah, that, that was that's right in the, in the inception of the Angling Trust. Yeah. But yeah, I thought, you know, it's you know, it's high time that I tried to turn the tide, so to speak, try and okay. try and help them out a bit. And that's just um, an instance of the massive amount of misinformation. Yeah. It was going around, it being was. put around by various people that you and I both know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a huge amount of misinformation that, that, that caused a lot of rancour with a lot of people. It did. Um, you know, because I know what I do and I know yeah. what I've always done and I'm yeah. pretty straight and, and, and you know, I, 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 I don't always tell it how it is because I don't like offending people and I don't like upsetting people. So I try to work around it in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I do... Um, I, I do feel for not only the Angling Trust but various other organisations and magazines that have been grossly misrepresented, not only in fishing, in you know, um, football and everything. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily take the cause of the underdog, but I like to take the cause of the, the, the people that I think, in my opinion, they're right. And you know when you have an opinion, yeah. it's always right, otherwise you'd have a different one, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now you, you, you've, you've regressed to your crucians. Are, are you going to try and catch eels and flounders off the end of South End Pier <laughs> What is next for Dave Barham? Well, like I said, you know, um, I was editor of all these sea fishing magazines and then I owned Boat Fishing Monthly for three and a half years. So I was publisher as well, yeah. publishing the mag myself. I was publisher, editor, T-boy, doing the whole thing. I had a designer designing it and, and Warners, who owned the mag at the time, were um, um, doing the adverts and stuff. I mean, I've got to put a big shout out to Jim Whippy as well, Mr. Jim Whippy. I mean, you know, Let's he was start. one of my, my going back to heroes when it comes to the boat fishing. What a what a what a guy that he is on the boat, and it, it you know, he he's been there throughout my career as well. He was editing Total Sea Fishing when I when I jumped on board, and then he left, and I was made editor, and then same thing again when I left. I had a disagreement with David's whole no. like. No, no, who would have thought it? Eh? Surely not. I lasted <laughs> nearly five weeks. Yeah. No, he didn't like me. He wanted to get rid of me so I could see that coming. So I, I, I left and 
And then you played um, your trump card and resigned. I did, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> I resigned. And um, during which time, Jim Whippy had sent me set boat fishing monthly up, and then I, mm. you know, and then I went to work with him, and and Warner's bought it off of him, and they made me editor of that, and then I bought it myself, like I say, published it, and then like the magazine, the market, you could see it coming, and it was yeah. happening. It still is to an extent that the bottom dropped out of it and I couldn't make it work. So that was that. And then I went freelance. I did three three years of freelance work. Um, and after about six months, I was writing for Sea Angler magazine and I was writing for uh, Gun World. I'd regressed back to me shooting. And you know, Terry Doe. Terry Doe, yeah. You know Terry Doe. He's, he's oh, my, I know Terry, what a man. He's, he's my boss now. <laughs> what a man. Oh, God, God so, help you. He hasn't led you around no. sorting out his garden gnomes or, or faux mushrooms in his garden, yeah, is he? Trimming, trimming his plants, trimming his hedges, yeah. No, he's a lovely guy. No, he, he is. For he's very, a star. Very long yeah. He is. So, yeah, I, a I was great, what a, Sorry, just to interrupt you, what a great writer as well. I mean, the things oh, he amazing. used to write about Morris is his, his late lamented. Um, yeah. What, what, a, what, a, what a star. What a great, a great man with words. I have a lot of fun and repartee with, with Terry on Facebook. Yeah, and, you know, we, we pun each other to the, end, to the edge of the world. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, have some, we have some great times on there. And, and uh, he's even got me into a new, type, new kind of coffee. We're now both Kenya Peaberry drinkers. Oh, yeah. Although <laughs> I, I have this time, I've, I've just changed. To, to one from Papua New Guinea for, for uh, where I'm at the moment it's derived from the old Jamaica Blue Mountain back in the 1800s some Jamaica Blue Mountain seeds were sent to Papua New Guinea and they grew it and this, this is the, the you know 130 years 140 years later the, the, the new kind of crop it ain't Jamaica Blue Mountain but then again it's only about 5% of the price but it's uh, it's very nice but I, will, I have got Kenya Peaberry in my cupboard in reserve so yeah oh, I should ask him about that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so I'm told him about the PNG stuff I don't want him to don't to think I've gone off the the peaberry no. rails, but I yeah. have got the I've got a, a supply in the cupboard. Yeah. Got a yeah, kilo so bag of that. I, I was I was freelancing for Terry and freelancing for Sea Angler, and then Cliff Brown again. I've got to say a big thanks to Donna Harris as well. She said we've got to get this guy on a retainer. So I was on a retainer. I had a wage from Sea Angler for three years, uh, which is sort of half of of what I'd, I'd been earning, but it was enough to keep going it plus with the freelance stuff for um for terry as well and then a job came up phil price who was the editor of air gunner magazine resigned and they needed an editor and terry's just phoned me and said do you want to come for an interview that's the only interview i've ever had not in a pub (laughs) (laughs) weren't ron fowler's fish shop was it yeah no 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 it's actually (laughs) at the offices it's actually at the offices but yeah so i've been there now nearly three years as editor of uh, Air Gunner and editor at large of Air Gun World. We work across each other's mags. You know, it's just yeah. it's like one big mag for the pair of us. Really, work really well together. We've got a fantastic team there, and I'm still doing my sort of monthly feature for Sea Angler with Cliff as well. And you're fishing, and you're now yeah. you're doing everything. You're sea fishing. You're fly fishing. Yeah, I mean, you're this is the thing. To your crucians. You know, I've done what say twenty. 24 years of either deputy editing or editing sea fishing magazines and I've always loved it and I've always loved everything that I've done but it restricted me to just sea fishing you know and and me, me odd bit of carp fishing 
now I'm just doing one monthly feature for, for Sea Angler, and I'm still doing loads of sea fishing um, yeah. regardless. It's given me time. It's freed me up. I'm not construed to just go in sea fishing because I've always felt under pressure that I've got yeah. to get these features in the bag, you know. And that was what I was going to say right at the beginning, the, 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 the blessing and curse of yeah. working at your hobby. You know, when, when I'm out filming, and I still do a little bit now, and when I'm out filming and we, we say, right, we want to catch some nice roach. Yeah. When we've caught some nice roach and they're just, like you say, just starting to have a bit, they're just starting yeah, to yeah. take them nice and slowly. Well, well that's it, we finish now. I'll pack up and go home. I, yeah. Whereas if I'd have been fishing a match and catching a roach, a chuck at the end of the match, I'd have waited in and carried on fishing. But I don't carry yeah. on after filming. It's it's the job. The full it stop is. is on the end and I'm off. Yeah. Yeah, that's Packers, exactly, really. exactly what it is. So so now I'm still doing loads of sea fishing, still doing loads of boat fishing, still all around the country. Not as much as I'd like to, but I'm, I'm still doing it. But now I'm going, doing a bit of trout fishing again. Yeah, lovely. You know, and and I'm, I'm back into my carp fishing. I'm doing a couple of nights. I've joined a syndicate up Whoa. here in, in deep, deep in syndicate I've joined. Oh, I know, uh, yeah. I know. That, is yeah. that the AJS Fisheries one? Uh, no, it's no, not. There's one in that part of the world, <coughs> one by a company called AJS. Anyway, yeah. whichever. So yeah, that's 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 nice. So yeah. so you're living up Peterborough way now, are you? That, that I, I'm actually living in Lincolnshire now, just south oh, of Boston. Nice. Oh, uh, lovely! Right, right yeah. on the wash. Um, yeah. And if you, if you fancy a day's uh, bass fishing on really light tackle, I'm sure we can sort that out because there's wow. thousands yeah. of them up here. Yeah, it's great. The last time I was out about a month ago, and we had about I don't know 13, 14, but it was really early in the season. We go now, and, and you'll catch 40. But yeah, we had one uh, seven and a half pound that day, and you're only fishing an ounce of lead, two ounces wow. maximum. Is it is it like the old days? And I'm going back now to the old days because I'm, I'm so I'm going back to the old days. I'm going back thirty years when I was repping for diver again. When you got to the end of the bass season, and and squid came into play then around this end of September, but you know October time when bass was seen to switch off, you yeah. wouldn't get many, but you'd get a biggan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah October, if you wanted to get a ten November, or twelve pound bass December. off the east coast, you went October, just pushing into yeah. November. You know, before yeah. them silly whiting came in and started chewing everything off the hook, you, you, yeah. you went out and, and and even you might even catch a whiting, mightn't you? Yeah, and and, and you know, the, 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 the goat to catch a tiger kind of thing. Yeah, yeah you would yeah. put a small hook, thread a small hook onto the end of your big hook, and put a little lugworm and a strip of mackerel on that. Get your whiting strike, and as long as the rod was still nodding, you knew you had bait on. And suddenly, pow! Yeah. Not every time, not even every month, but or not even every week, but every so often, you yeah. would get that Mister Right, that big bucket gob That's of it. a bass. You know that you, double you figure always twelve get, pound. You always get some big bass caught all the way through the winter now. Mm. Um, like I say if you want to come up and do some boat fishing for the cod mate of mine Roger he's got a boat moored up at Grimsby and the last two years been phenomenal again you're catching 40 or 50 cod a day in the winter they're unicorns in the English channel you're more yeah, likely to catch they're, a they're, unicorn they're, going out of deal sort of nudging double figures you know wow um, and the last time we went out or well, time before last um, I had a nine pound bass as well on a whole squid while we were catching cod to nine pounds oh, well it's a shame brilliant. isn't it that's a shame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is, well, it's, 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 it's great fishing up this neck of the woods. But then, like you say, things are changing. You go to the Thames Estuary now, and they are, and the South Coast, cod are like unicorns. They've, they've sort of disappeared. But yeah. the Humber is alive and well in the winter. 
But you've got the rays down south to, to compensate and the smooth yeah, hounds and, the and you know, a few taupe and, and lots more black and, bream than there ever used the, to be. And yeah. the turbot and the brim yeah, and yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah, so you've got yeah, everything down there. They're still a bit small. The, the further east you get along the channel, the smaller the, the, the big flat is the turbot and the brill get. But they are there. And I know the sort of ground to look for them on as well. I just, <laughs> all, all I need is a nice 30-foot boat to go out and do them. That's Mate, it. listen, it's, it's been fantastic to you. One last, have you got like for maybe, let's, let's not have an aspiring angle. Let's have someone who, Ghost fishing, but would like to have a go at journalism. What would you What would you do if you were st- if you were Dave Barham, age sixteen, just been kicked out of school for going fishing every day like I was? What What yep. would What would you you do to get into the into the the the, the mode, if you like? Into the mode, right? I mean, I've, like I say, I've been very lucky. I've been in the right place, right time, and I've I've, I've had people that know people like my mum and, and whatnot. If I if I wanted to do it now, it's a whole different ball game. A lot of it's video work you know it's all youtube and, and people setting up their own channels and stuff and we've um, seen a couple of really good kids get get on really get on on youtube haven't we yeah carl and alex look at them carl boys. and alex are a classic example absolutely yeah. but i love watching their stuff it's yeah. you know they're 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 mature beyond their years i think yeah or they've matured beyond their years with what they're doing and they're they're really on the ball absolutely love their stuff but yeah so get yourself a decent advice. phone stand and, and yeah, stand in front advice. of it and catch a fish my advice would be just to go fishing. Yeah. Do as much fishing as you as you can and try and fish with other people, you yeah. know, as well as I do. You know, it's I learned that from the, the instant I started working on a fishing magazine 27 years ago. You're fishing with different people. And, you know, I don't like the word expert. There's no such thing as an expert in fishing because you never stop learning. You've got Different more experienced opinions. anglers than others, but you Absolutely. never stop learning, and I love it. Absolutely. Righto, mate. That's fantastic. Dave, I've thoroughly enjoyed our talk. I'm glad I've been able to see you. And, and unfortunately, you. the other people can't, although they might. you might get some funny notes about that shirt. But anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a different story. It's, it's been great talking to you, mate, and, and we'll do it again soon. And if, if, if I'm Definitely. spared and can get a little bit of time to come up and, and have a visit around the wash, uh, I most certainly You're will. You're more than it's welcome. Been a, been a real pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. Nice to catch up with you. You take care, mate. Oh, well, cheers. <laughs> see you soon. Bye-bye. Well, what a great crew Dave Barham was. Thoroughly enjoyable. If you've not listened before, there's plenty more voyages in the Strange Boat Archive. You can follow and subscribe, and we'll even let you know when we have our next sailing. Thanks for joining me this time. Enjoy your listening and your fishing. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.